Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm Jeffrey Groman, founder of Groman Cyber, a cybersecurity services firm. And I'm joined today by Charles Wood, one of my co-panelists. How are you doing today, Chuck? Doing good. It's funny, every time you say that you're a cybersecurity expert or you know that you run a cybersecurity company, I'm like, that just sounds super cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, you know, we don't have to dwell too much on this, but right now life is a little crazy with all this solar winds. Oh man, I will bet attack. you, you know, we should, we should just do an episode on that next week and just talk through it. Cause I, I am yeah. really curious to see what's involved there and just, yeah, how it's affecting people and stuff like that. Cause I think you kind of get the broad strokes and then, you know, people have tried to tie it into all of this international espionage stuff and you know nobody's really talking about often the real story they're just talking about the angle that gets them the most clicks so yeah it is unfortunate it's really hard it's funny we we uh, they say we live in the information age and yet you have to wade through a lot of stuff to actually get the real information it's true and it's true for all kinds of things i mean covid's been so politicized that you have to wade through a ton of stuff to figure out what's true and what's not yeah. You know, I mean, all of these different things, you know, the election, you know, I've heard some people argue that certain stories didn't get covered the way that they should have or others got covered too much. Right. And yeah, it's like, OK, so what do we care about in all of this mess of information? And it's hard. It's definitely hard. No doubt about it. So, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. You know, let, let's uh, let's find another another week and let's cover this because it's, it's a great topic. It's a really interesting a uh, lot of an intrigue going on. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know how your ops team keeps a pile of scripts and wiki documents explaining how to perform those routine and emergency tasks that keep your applications running? They might call them runbooks or playbooks. Our friends at Octopus Deploy were thinking, DevOps is about collaboration, so doesn't it make sense for runbooks to be automated from the same place as deployments? Well, Octopus Deploy is now the first deployment tool with native runbook support. And the best thing is your runbooks can share configuration settings and automation steps with your deployments. So go find out more at octopus.com. Well, I'm going to kind of take over because I scheduled this episode. And I, I just kind of want to give a little bit of a preface before we really get into the discussion. And that is, I've kind of been through a whole lot this year. I think a lot of us have, but I really got mired down in, you know, who do I want to be? What kind of a difference do I want to make? And I realized that with devchat.tv, the difference I want to make is I want to help people become basically top 5% in whatever field. So in, in for this show, I want to help people become top 5% DevOps engineers, right? So if I stand you up in a room with 20 other DevOps folks, you're probably going to be the top person, right? That That's kind of what I'm aiming for. You know, there, there's the off chance that there's another top 5% in there. And so, you know, maybe you aren't, but, you know, odds are pretty good. So I really started thinking about this because initially I was kind of working on the question of how do I become a senior developer, senior DevOps engineer? Because I get asked that all the time. And what I realized was that the kinds of people that I would hire to work as a senior engineer in any capacity aren't the people that, you know, seem to have this encyclopedic knowledge of things. Sometimes having that encyclopedic knowledge is an outgrowth of the things that I think 
really matter to being a top 5%. But overall, that that's not what it is. And so I thought about, okay, who do I know? And that that has done this, right? The top 5% or maybe even top 1%. And the top 1%, I kind of think of as the tech influencers, thought leaders, people like that, right? The people who are out there not just staying on top of things and contributing to the community at large in, in some of the ways that they do, but the people who are out there actually leading the charge to move us ahead. But the the 5%, yeah, you know, those are the people that you want in your organization that are going to move the ball forward, that are really going to make a difference. And I and so I start thinking about, okay, what's different about these people, right? So that's what I wanted to talk about. And I'm curious, you know, you you run a cybersecurity company. I guess I've never asked if it's just you or if you have other people working for you, but it sounds like you have other people working for you. So in your mind, what makes that top 5% person? Like, what are they doing that's different from maybe the top 20% or top 50% person? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I I love the way you're sort of approaching it because I I agree with you. It's not just about knowledge. You know, I think it's true across all of tech that, you know, there's not one person that can sort of become the expert in multiple areas of tech. You can know quite a bit about multiple areas of tech, but it's just, it's too specialized today. So Mm -hmm. I think, to me, you know, when you're hiring and knowing that you're going to, no matter what you're hiring for, you're going to, that person is going to need to know multiple areas. It's going to need to continue to grow and learn on the job. And, you know, if you're, if you're client facing, then you've got to have those skills as well in terms of just people skills, like knowing how to interact and build relationships and all that. So to me, it's, it's really about the people who are, who are more thoughtful, who are more, you know, not just sort of like, Hey, you know, quick to just get that, get that thing out, get that job done, you know, and Hey, I've done that 600 times. I'm just going to do it again the same way I've done it the last 600 times, but the people who are sort of more thoughtful about it. And, you know, I think to me in the security world, it's the ones who are willing to sort of take a step back and say, wait a second here. Yeah. We've always done it this way, but let's face it, you know, in security, this is a great paradigm is that, we can see it's not working because mm-hmm. you know the breaches keep happening. So you know the way we've always been doing it is not the best way. Let's be thoughtful about how we're approaching it because we should be doing a lot of course correction. And and that's what I look for: people who are really sort of more thoughtful about it. And and I think the other piece to me is also the sort of the ego or the arrogance. You know, it's it's easy to become really knowledgeable about a certain area and then sort of feel like, hey, I know so much about this area and, you know, sort of let that that get you a little bit too much. And uh, I think we all have to have some humility to say, hey, I may know a lot, but there's other people out there that know a lot also. And even somebody Mm -hmm. who doesn't know as much as me, I can learn from anybody. So I, I think humility is such a huge thing, you know, in our field. Yep, absolutely. You know, when you're talking about qualities of the person that you want to have on your team, right? But I've kind of boiled this down, and, and these qualities kind of lend themselves, I think, to certain practices. And, and those are the people that kind of stand out, in my mind anyway, as the people that you want to have on your team, right? And down to having them be the senior or senior plus people on your team. And one of those is, yeah, you know, recognizing that, okay, I have a gap in my knowledge that is costing us, and so I'm going to go and learn it. Right. And then and then they have the ability, they've practiced doing what it takes to learn these these things. Right. And so a lot of folks, you know, they kind of hire for experience. But the kind of experience that I want is the kind of experience where it's I have a problem and I have experience going and finding the answer. Right. 
It's not the experience. You know, I mean, if I can find somebody who's already done it before, great, you know, but that's fairly specific a lot of times to your situation. And instead, it's, yeah, recognizing I don't have the answer. I need the answer. I want to do this right. And so I'm going to go learn how to do it. And then they have the experience to go figure it out. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's a great example. I see it all the time in, in my line of work where, you know, we're constantly trying to do something we haven't necessarily done before. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a great example is if we're doing any kind of response or investigation type of work, you never know what kind of data artifacts you're going to get or the quantity right. that you're going to be looking at. Yeah, and also you got to sort of figure out, well, wait, what is this? You know, what is this artifact? How does this, you know, how does it work? What What's the protocol? What's the, right? And you don't know it. And, and sometimes nobody knows it. You have to reverse engineer and figure it mm-hmm. out. And if you're not sort of comfortable in that world of, I don't know what it is, but I bet I can figure something uh, you know, out about it. And I could probably work together with others to do the same thing. And, and between all of us, we will get to the bottom of this mystery, right? And solve it. And mm-hmm. And through that experience, you've now solved a problem and it makes you like, it just gives you a bit more confidence and, and a bit more technical skills and, you know, sort of a, a better person after that. Yeah, I will say, though, that there are people that seem to be able to look at an artifact or a bit of code or a bit of config that they've never, ever seen before. They've never seen anything like it. And it... It, this always used to make me jealous because I'd have friends that would do this, right? And they, they'd take one look at it and they'd be like, oh, this does that. And I'm like, oh, have you seen this before? Well, no. You know, and you're just going, wait, what so, the heck, but, right? But it reminds me of this thing that I once worked on 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. There are people like that. that you're absolutely right. <laughs> but But the other thing is, is that and, and this is one of the main principles or practices that I want people to put into place is that they've gone out and they've done the work to expose themselves to a lot of different things. And so when they come along to something like this, they understand enough of the principles, I mean, at kind of even an instinctive level that they can look at it and say, I bet this is this, right? Yeah. And a lot of folks, what they're looking for when they're trying to level up in their career is they expect to get that on the job. And what I found, I have a friend, his name's David, worked with him for a long time. He actually used to live like two blocks from me. But yeah, he he made it a practice of committing code to GitHub every day, right? And cool. so, you know, it's it's that kind of a thing, right? So, you know, the people who are out doing this at home and you know, trying to find the edge cases on their own and learn how this stuff works on their own. And a lot of people are going, yeah, but I'm not getting paid for that. And that's a work thing. Well, if you want to become one of these people, I'm sorry, but you've got to put in time outside of work to understand this stuff and to do it. And what I tell people is schedule a minimum half hour a day where you're out there actively, you know, hammering away at some kind of code, at some kind of config, at some kind of setup, you know, for, for DevOps, you know, learning, you know, a, a new service on AWS. I mean, whatever, you know, where you think it's going to get you where you want to go. And this this takes me back to having a plan. And we'll probably talk about that in a minute. But if you're, if you're actively doing that, you're going to level up so much faster than everybody else. And that's where it's going to make the difference, right? And the other thing is, is if you've got that kind of commit history in your GitHub or that kind of a history where you could show an employer when you show up, they're going to hire you as a senior person because they know that you've probably done something that's related to what they want you to do. 
Yeah. But I think you're hitting on really an important point, which is that the people who are doing that, who are sort of taking, you know, carving out time, sometimes it's their own time. Those are the ones who are passionate about it, who love it, yeah. who just, you know, really sort of want to spend time with that. And a lot of times I agree that that's what makes some of the best employees are the ones who just love the technology and just, you know, just eat it up. Well, the other thing is, at least for me, is so when I graduated from college, I got a job working uh, tech support. And I, I really got into it. And everyone was passionate about the company, right? Because it was new. We were, we were breaking new ground. We were doing all this interesting stuff. And then I left there and I went to another company. Anyway, two companies later, I wound up on this team and I was leading this team. And I was super passionate. I loved writing Ruby on Rails. I loved learning new technologies. I was super into it. And I'd show up to work and everybody else was punching the clock. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I hated that job. Yeah. And what's funny is, is yes, my boss sucked. But besides that, <laughs> what was really hard was that I would start geeking out about something that I had found and nobody cared. Right. Right. Nobody, nobody cared. I'd be yeah. like, hey guys, I want you to start going to the users group meetings. You know, and, and so it, it's not just a factor of, hey, you know, everybody's contributing at the same level, but it makes it way more fun when you've got something that you're passionate about in common with the people that you spend all day with. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, you know, to be honest, and, and you know, this is when I think when you're hiring, right? Hiring is always a two-way, it's two-way street, right? They're, they're interviewing you, you're interviewing them. Right. And that's really what they should be looking for is, okay, if I'm a passionate person, I want to work at a company that has a passionate culture. Uh, yeah, I mean, to your example, uh, one of the, one of the uh, first jobs I had, it was in college, I remember working with this woman who is, you know, probably a leader in her career. And she once made this comment to me. I still remember today. It's so long ago. She said, you know, it all pays the same. And never heard, you know, I was, what, I don't know, 18, 19, 20. I had never heard that term before. I was like looking at her like, are you kidding me? Like, don't you care about what you're doing? Right? I mean, you know, the na naive right. college kid. But, you know, that culture was just, it, it just drove me crazy. Right? Yeah. And I think it's what you're saying too. So, so you, you know, you realize what culture you want and what culture you don't want to work in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point here because, I mean, I'm talking about it from the employee standpoint, right? You want to work somewhere that has that culture and, you know, really drives people to work passionately on what they love to do and where you can work with people who, you know, kind of take I don't want to say take their work home with them, but they're they're right. exploring on their own time, right? They're putting in the effort to to stay up to date and blah blah blah, right? Because you feel like you're you're working at the same level as them, and you feel that camaraderie with them. But the flip side is is that if you're a company that's trying to attract these people, and I can't tell you how many companies have come to me. So Chuck, how do I hire a senior developer? <laughs> and I'm going, and and I tell them this all the time. I'm like, well, you've got to find somebody that they want to work with. And then, you know, th yeah. that is that kind of person. Then you get their friends to show up. Right. But yeah. the flip side is on that is that a lot of times you can train up a junior developer into a senior developer that has that level of enthusiasm, what they're doing. And then the other people will come because you're creating that work environment. Right. So if you want the top 5% folks to come work for you, then a, you've got to get them to believe in what you're doing. Right. And that's a culture thing. And B, you've got to create that that culture of 
we really deeply care about our craft and we really love doing what we're doing because otherwise those people will not show up for you. And if they do, they're going to be looking to leave in six months because they feel like they're not, you know, everybody else isn't pulling their weight or they're just tired of working with people that show up, punch the clock and then, you know, punch out and leave. Yeah. What's that? I don't know if it's, you know, if it's uh, accurate or not, but I think there's this, this is a quote attributed to Richard Branson, right? At Virgin Group. And, he um, that he says something like, you know, you train your employees and treat them like they're going to, you know, stick around forever. And I think that, and the flip side is you treat them well enough that you hope that they do. It's some, I'm probably like totally like, you know, destroying the the, the quote. Uh-huh. But that's the idea, right? You, you, you train them and you get them, you sort of, you know, you, um, you build them up from from ground zero. But then it's all about your culture. It's, a, it's all about how you treat them and how you build the culture so that you make them want to stay. Yeah, that's what it is. And, and if you're not doing that, I know I've heard some, from so many companies that oh, we'll never invest in training in our people because every time we do that, they just get they leave. and leave. Right. Yep. Like, wow. That's just such a horrible, you know, way to look at it for yeah. many reasons, I think. Well, and, you know, I can think of at least one company and I'm not going to publicly shame them. I don't know if I even remember which company it was, but yeah, I suggested to them, you know, train up some junior, like hire some passionate juniors and train them up and give them what they need and send them to conferences. Right. So they feel like you're investing in them and that you care that they want to learn. And then, you know, and then you'll have senior developers that contribute at the level you want, and then they'll attract other people. And they said, yeah, every time we do that, they leave. Yep. And, you know, I'm like, well, why are they leaving? And right. The answer (laughs) That's the like 80% question. of the time, 80% of the time is, well, they got a job, they got an offer for more money somewhere else. And I'm like, then why didn't you give them a raise before they started looking? Right. Well, right. I mean, it's the same thing. It, You've it got is. to create those reasons to stay. And you don't have to give them the same kind of raise that they get going somewhere else. If they feel like you're willing to invest in them, you give them a decent enough raise, they're not even going to look. That, that, I, I, see, that's, I, I agree with that 100%. Because I think, and I've heard this quoted from in several places, but that it's kind of intuitive, but money they found in research, money is not actually what makes people leave, you know, and it, and people aren't, yeah, people are happy. They're not looking for a new job. They don't really care that they can make some, you know, more elsewhere. Mm -hmm. They want to be happy. I mean, everybody wants to show up to a job that, you know, it's not miserable, right? You want it to be a place that you enjoy spending your time. And if you don't, then you're going to want to leave. I mean, you could be paying the person lots, loads of money. And if they're miserable, they're not going to want to stay either. It's so true. Well, especially at the top end. I mean, when I was early in my career, you know, going from $60,000 to $80,000 a year, it made a major difference, right, in my lifestyle. And so I left jobs because of that, right? Right. You know, or 40 to 60 was when I jumped into development. But I mean, once you get up to that top level, right, you get these top level people. I mean, whether they're making 120, 130, $150,0, $200,000 a year, it doesn't matter anymore. They've got their living expenses covered. They can go take the trips that they want to take with their family. They can go make the lifestyle they want to make. And so what they want is they want to be happy eight hours a day when they show up to work. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing I'd also point out, though, I think about the top 5%. I think about this quite often. I, I, I was reading, uh, I'm trying to remember where, I, I've heard in a couple of different places, but the whole notion of an eight-hour day is, is sort of random and arbitrary, right? It sort of probably mm-hmm. dates back all the way back to when, you know, the Industrial Revolution and, you know, 
you're expected to show up and put in your eight hours on the assembly line or whatever it was back in those days. And it's just one of those artifacts that just has stuck with us. And that I makes sense. About, you need so many people to man the machines for so many yeah, hours. And exactly. So you, you give them a shift and have them show up. That makes right. sense. Right. And, and I think that's where it came from. And, you know, because I was thinking about it today and, and, you know, anybody who's doing creative work and, you know, if you're, if you're a developer, that's certainly creative work. You can't do that for eight hours a day. Your brain just can't do that. So you know that you're not filling eight hours with, you know, pure creative work. So what are you doing when you're not, you know, when you, you know, you, you, okay, your head's down for two hours doing something and then your brain just needs a break and you're doing something else. And I think that's one, you know, what are the top five percenters doing? What, What are the others? The others are doing, you know, they're catching up on Facebook or, you know, some other mm-hmm. mindless activity, some kind of distraction. And the top five percenters are using that time wisely, right? Yeah. They are doing something like, hey, I'm curious about this. Hey, I heard about this. I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes and, and Google it or or read this thing on Medium that I just heard about, or right? That's a top five percenter. And I think that's an important distinction because I don't think what we're saying is you are expected to put in 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Uh, to me, that's not the expectation. It's you can do a lot in eight or nine hours a day, getting your job mm-hmm. done and doing some learning on top of it. If you are focused, passionate, and you know, you're you're one of the top, you know, you're a top performer and you want to be a top performer. Yeah. And and that's the other thing. So I talked about spending 30 minutes a day actually working on technology. I also recommend people block out 30 minutes a day to go learn, right? And so, yeah, they go read articles, they go blah, blah, blah. And most of the time you have a lunch break, right? And so that's the perfect time for that. If yeah. you're working a full-time job, you know, you're they, they probably give you the time to break for lunch. And unless you work for a company like I do, where they actually block half the internet with a firewall, you can actually go <laughs> do plenty of that that work. But I've been working from home, right? So I just I turn my chair 90 degrees and I just do that on my personal machine. Right. But I mean, that's, that's really, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's exactly what I recommend to people. And the reason is, is because at the end of the day, then it's, Oh, well, we're trying to solve this problem. And it turns out it's a common problem that, Oh, there's a new version of this thing that has the feature that'll solve that problem. Or, you know, there are some people that are researching a new approach to this and, you know, I can do a two-hour spike and I can figure it out, right? Yeah. And and so, you know, you become knowledgeable enough to actually offer real solutions to that. And you become the go-to person for whatever topic it is that you really know deeply. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, and there's so many ways to really let go with that, right? Because then if you're talking about it, a top five percenter or somebody who wants to, you know, that's, that's their goal, then... They're going to do that. They're going to do a deep dive on some new technique, mm-hmm. technology, language, framework, whatever it is. And then they're going to share it, right? You do yep. a lunch and learn. You do a, you, you write it up as a blog post. You do something with it. You do a YouTube video of like a screencast showing people how you did what you did. Whatever it is, you share that with the world. You've now even learned more and really ingrained it even deeper inside of you because once you teach something, you learn it even better than right. you know than you had before, and now you're also sharing it, letting other people sort of you know you're sort of the tide rises and all the boats rise with the tide, right? That's that's the idea. Have you been reading my mind? Because I swear you hit the next two things on my list. <laughs> oh boy! So so the first one is is being involved in the community, 
right? And it drives me absolutely bonkers. You know, these folks are like, well, you know, how do I, how do I get more, you know, involvement or how do I get more answers to these things? How do I learn more stuff? How do I even know what's going on out there? And it's like, look, you got to get involved in the community. And so, I mean, it could be a user's group, which is just a local group of folks that get together and talk about stuff. It could be, you know, speaking at conferences. It could be putting out content. And by the way, the second one is content. So, you know, you get involved in the community, you have conversations with people in the community, you make sure that you understand what's moving in the community. That's where community involvement comes in. And you help people out in within the community. And then the other part of it is, is yeah, then you go out and you put out content. And it can be a blog, it can be a podcast, which is kind of my favorite medium, if you couldn't <laughs> tell, you know, put up a YouTube video, you know, anything like that. And it yeah. doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every week. It right. should be regular and it should be useful. But, you know, if it takes you two weeks to write the kind of blog post you want to write, then write a blog post every two weeks. Yeah. But, you know, th those are the two things. And one, all of a sudden you have this resume of things that somebody can go look at and say, obviously, you know, this person knows this stuff. I have two stories on this. One was early on. So that same job where, you know, everybody was just clocking in and clocking out. When I got that job, it was our third, I think it was our third wedding anniversary. I showed up to work at my job and my boss calls me in and, and I, the, the project I'd been working for, working on for them ended. I was working for a consultancy. Okay. So that project went away. They had shot me to a couple of other clients and none of the clients would take me. So I show up, right? And my boss basically says, turn in your machine, you're done, Right. And nice. so I, sh I show up at home. It's like 1030 in the morning, right? Got two little kids at home. My wife's looking at me going, what are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> right? And I, I look at her and I'm like, well, the good news is, is we get to spend more of our anniversary together. The bad news <laughs> is, is I don't have a job anymore, right? And she's like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, I guess, I guess I'll just kind of look around for a job. And so I started putting my resume up on job boards. By the way, this is not how I recommend you find a job. That's another discussion. Right. But, right. you know, I, I was brand new. I had no idea. So I put my resume up. I get a phone call at like one o'clock. And it's, it's from this guy named Jared. And he goes, he goes, so I found your resume. I think I'd sent it to their company and he had checked it, right? So he, he's like, you want to come in? And I was like, sure. And so I get I get down there at like 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right? And we sit down and we start ch chatting. And at that point, I had a fairly popular screencast series called Teach Me to Code. And every week I'd put out a video on how to do something on Ruby on Rails, right? Cool. And it was a Ruby on Rails job. And so we talked for probably a half hour. And then I walked out the door and I was driving home to pick up my wife so we could go to dinner that night, you know, spend our last, you know, however much money on. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I had another check coming, but yeah, I'm being overdramatic. But anyway, right, so right. I was going to go pick her up for dinner, right? Because it was our anniversary. I got a phone call on the way home. I wasn't out of their office 10 minutes. He calls me up and he goes, I went and looked at your screencasts. When can you start? Right. Right. And it was, it wasn't. Anything I said during the interview, it wasn't anything that I had done that really impressed him. He went and looked and it was very, very obvious that I was invested in doing Ruby on Rails and I knew my stuff. Right. And I had, seriously, 
I had one year of professional programming experience to my name at that point. And so they, they brought me in after two weeks, they made me the team lead. Wow. Right. And so, you know, you're talking about, okay, how do I get to the point where I'm contributing at level X, Y, and Z? The answer is, is you go do this stuff, right? And the content really makes a difference. The other yeah. thing is, is that I got him to start going to the users group. And I think that was really what did it, getting the promotion to team lead, was he showed up to the users group and realized not only did I know everybody, but I was speaking at it every other month, <laughs> right? And so again, you yeah. know, just just yep. that community validation, all this stuff plays in. If you want that job, I mean, it's a terrific way to go. The last, this, so the job I'm working now, things kind of slowed down on the podcast network to the point where I was just like, you know what? I got to find another way to make some money. Reached out to the local community again and said, hey folks, I'm looking for some contracts. A friend of mine who I had worked with in the past, I had actually hired him twice. But he's like, hey, if you're, if you're interested in full-time, you know, come work for us. And so I showed up for the interview and he said, look, we have a personal history, so I can't interview you, right? Even though he was going to be my direct supervisor. Yeah. So I walk into the conference room, I sit down and the two developers sitting across from me both look at me and say, we love Ruby Rogues. We think <laughs> it's terrific. So we just chatted about running a podcast for 20 minutes. And then I got the, when can you start, right? right. And it's the same thing, right? And so you know, they knew they wanted me because I had that level of passion. And I've worked with a number of people at this company. Some of them are way more involved than others. But at the end of the day, again, they knew that I could bring certain elements to their culture that they wanted. And right. so by putting that stuff up, by showing that I had the expertise that they needed, you know, and they basically hired me at the highest level, highest salary that they could. Right. Because they want me to stay. Yep. And so it's the same thing. And so if you're looking to kind of get those jobs at that level, that's what it takes, yeah. you know, and a lot of people aren't willing to do the work and that's why it works. That's what it's involved. And it's not just what it's going to get you as far as these jobs go, but it's super fulfilling to learn this stuff too. So anyway, I, I guess what I'm putting out there is if you want those top 5% jobs and you want to be seen as that top 5% person, you've got to be doing the work within the community and with a content strategy so that you can actually get there. I, I totally agree. Do you want to move off the individual contributor track and onto the management track? Maybe you want to become a director of engineering or CTO. Let me help. I'm starting a program to help developers move up in their careers using proven techniques and by starting a podcast in order to advance. Right now, I'm only scheduling calls to see where you're at and where you want to go and how you can get there. I'm not doing any sales pitches, just talking to you about where you're at. You can schedule that call at devchat.tv slash next level. Yeah, and I would say also that, you know, the content strategy, sometimes it's going to take you a while to figure it out. You know, take your time. I mean, it's not, you know, look look for yeah. needs. Like, don't try to mm -hmm. push something that you don't want to do or that the community is not interested in or that you're just going to get frustrated. But if you're patient, if you just get involved, you start, there are needs everywhere. You just have to look for them. They will appear, go after them. You know, one thing I would say, though, is I, I think is even if you like to do podcasts and, you know, videos, I think writing blogs is important because writing is such a great skill so to have. True. No matter what you do, learn uh, how to write better. I, I was a terrible writer. I, so I, my degree is in uh, computer engineering. I never, yeah, I don't think I wrote a single anything in all you know my four or five years of college. Like I didn't have to write. The only thing I had to write were like you know equations. 
you know, and yep. and stuff, you know, math. That was the only thing I ever wrote. So when I got in, you know, started getting, a, you know, started getting different jobs and, and doing consulting work and having to write reports and, you know, communicate, in, you know, in a written way, it was, I mean, I would just sit and stare at my screen for hours. I don't even know how to start this. I don't even know. And today, I mean, that was, you know, 20 years ago. I've gotten a lot better. And it's, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I used to hate writing to now I actually enjoy it. It's not my favorite thing to do by by any stretch, but I don't mind it. I'm good at it, you know, relatively speaking, with air quotes, I'm good at it. Meaning that, you know, for a technical guy, I'm I'm, I'm pretty good at it. I, I think that's a skill that everybody has to have because you've, you know, it's one thing to be able to do your, do whatever it is that you do, but you've got to be able to communicate what it is that you're able to do and why you do it and how you do it and, and all that stuff. And that's got to come through in your content. So, you know, write. It's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good skill to have. All right. So seriously, stop it. Cause the, the last thing is the soft skills, right? That's <laughs> the last area that I hit. And especially communication is, yeah. You know, I mean, I remember back when I got into software in like 2005, 2006, you could kind of get away with being the lone wolf, right? You could go in, you could build, a, you know, a reasonable sized app and, you know, it, it would be fine and it would work and you could find those jobs anymore. It's not the case. I'm sorry, but it's a team sport. You're, you're going to be working on a team. You're working on a dev team. You're going to be working on a wider team with project managers, you know, developers or DevOps folks. You're going to be working with uh, stakeholders. And, and all of these people are going to expect you to be able to communicate what you're doing. And if you can't do that, you will actually hinder your ability to move into those positions that you want to be in. Yeah. And so, I mean, for heaven's sake, I mean, we use Jira. I hate Jira. Hate, 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 hate Jira. Anyway, we use Jira at work, right? But, and the reality is, is when we're working on stuff, we have to document what we put together. Yeah. And so we've got to write it in there. I've yeah. got to be able to talk to my teammates. I've got to be able to communicate to the, the DevOps person who doesn't necessarily know Ruby on Rails, right? But, you know, has to deploy it, right? I have to be able to talk to my boss. I have to be able to talk to the stakeholders. I got to be able to talk to these other folks. And if I can't do that, then I'm not going to get what I want. Right. And and you're going to be miserable because you're going to have to do it. And you're like my example, you're going to sit and stare at the screen for two hours, not even knowing where to start. (laughs) So yeah, over the hump. (laughs) Well, the other thing is, is you feel like, well, I'm, I'm such a competent person over here. Yeah. And then I utterly fail over here. And the yeah. real reality is, is it's a skill that you build just like you built your programming skills. Yeah, it really is. It's a great skill. And it, and I think part of it is also is what I think communication is so important is it, it makes you stand in the shoes of somebody else, like whether it's your project manager or your colleague or the business owner of the application, security folks, whatever it is, whoever it is that you have to communicate with. You have to sort of stand in their place and say, okay, if I'm them, I don't know everything I know about this application. What do they need to know to for their job, right? For for whatever it is they right. need to do. Yeah. And and just think about that. And okay, now I can start to figure out how to convey those ideas. But yeah. you sort of have to be able to do that. Well, the other thing is, is, you know, back to writing for a minute. I've been in so many situations where I show up to the meeting where we're discussing whatever it is, right? And I talk them into the thing that I that I think we should do, right? And so I didn't use any writing skills. Well, guess how that meeting ends? Chuck, can you write that up for us so we can send it to the people above us? Yep. 
happens every dang time. That's right. Every dang time. That's right. Right. And so just count on it. You have to write for emails. You have to write for like, like we said, like Jira tickets and stuff like that. Your commit messages. I mean, all of that is writing skills and you just have to sit and think for a minute and really just pay attention to it because it's a skill that you have to have. And the other thing is, is the better you are at making these kinds of calls with your communication, the more people are going to value you. It's just the way it is. A lot of people that I talk to, the the idea of a meritocracy is kind of a dirty word for a lot of people these days. Honestly, I think a meritocracy is great, but it's not perfect because we don't have perfect knowledge of who's out there, what they can do, what they bring, how they're going to solve our problems, or even what our problems are, right? We don't always have that that perfect knowledge, right? And so the meritocracy is only as good as the information we have. But what that means then is that the better you can communicate, the the better that you can position yourself so that you can do this. And writing is a critical element to that. Yeah. You know, and if nothing that we just talked about has convinced you yet as a listener, then think about it this way. If you write it really poorly, you're going to have to go over it six more times because everyone who reads it is going to have questions for you. So do yourself a favor and spend yeah. time and figure out how to write it well the first time. And then you will just, uh, you know, you, you, you it'll be like done once and and that's it. And everyone will, you know, just sort of ingest what, uh, what you wrote, that content, and you'll be good. But if you don't, yeah. man, it's, you're just giving yourself more work. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And some of the other soft skills that I talk to people about are things like estimating work or, you know, project management related to that, agile uh, practices, you know, just just being somebody that somebody wants to sit by at work. Right. Um, You know, you hear the stories about the guy that has awful body odor, you know, showing up to work and stuff (laughs) like that. Right. And, And it's I mean, it seems like common sense, but like I said, I mean, it's a team thing. And if you're, if it's annoying somebody day after day, after day, after day, it doesn't matter how much they like you as a person, they don't want to work with you. Right. And so all, I mean, all of these different things and and so many people too, they get caught up on, well, if I have the technical skills, they should hire me, but they're not hiring you to be a technical expert. I mean, they are, but they're not, they're hiring you to get a result. And if your personal quirks get in the way of your team getting the result, they don't want you, even if you are the most technically qualified person in the world. And so all of these soft skills play into this. And and some of them, like writing and communicating, are going to get you ahead. And some of them are just baseline things that are going to make it so people are happy, you know, they're not annoyed having you around every day. So what you're saying is don't be the Terrell Owens of, your organization. <laughs> I think Terrell Owens is a football player, right? Yeah, it's funny. I I, uh, I hadn't heard his name. I, I was chatting with my my ten year old son, who's really getting into the NFL, and and he's like, we were talking about it, like he was such a great receiver, and like by the end of his career, nobody would have him because he was just everybody knew he was just such a pain to deal with that no team would even yeah. you know would would trade you know would grab him, and so I think he just ended up retiring because nobody would take him. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that a little bit and I know it's a little controversial to bring up Colin Kaepernick, but you know, and, and right or wrong, it seemed like a lot of the football teams just didn't want to deal with the controversy. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I've, I've heard people say that he was an amazing quarterback and other people say it wasn't, but let's just say for argument's sake that he was an amazing quarterback. The controversy wasn't worth it. Yep. 
Well, and, and you know, and, and that's the thing is that nobody, you know, it's not about, you know, whatever political statements he's trying to make or not trying to make. Right. You know, you're trying to build a team that's successful. And yeah. knowing that he has baggage that he's bringing along, I mean, anybody's yeah. going to think twice about, do I want that baggage? Yeah. And the you whole know, team has to deal with it. Message, right? I, I right. still have baggage and I still want a team that's successful. Yeah. And, and that's what it's down to, right? Is are we going to get the result, right? And the result, like it or hate it for NFL teams, is they want to win games, but they want to win games because it, they make more money. Yeah, that's right. That's what it is. The fans like it. They spend more money. Yep. And, you know, the NFL likes yep. it. Everybody likes it. <laughs> yeah, the teams get a cut of the advertising revenue when the games are televised. Yeah. And the t- games get televised because of ratings. And I mean, it, it, it all boils down, you know, and so whether it's sports or something else, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, it's, well, this is going to get in the way of us getting the result. And so we're not going to do it. Right. That's right. You, that's right. You as a candidate want to be the person who they look at you and they say, I think this person is going to help us move the needle. And if they yeah. don't feel that way, you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, the flip side of that, I, I just want to point out is, I mean, if, if you have some, thing you know maybe maybe it's political maybe it's something else right where you just won't fit in certain organizations and it's not something you're willing to compromise on i'm not saying that you should what i'm saying is is that you're going to have to find places that either don't care about that or will actively support it and that might be harder than if you are kind of the -the run-of-the-mill person that doesn't have that issue no, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, it's and it gets back to what I said earlier. It's just, you know, the interview process is a two-way street. So if you're interviewing yeah. with a company, those are the things that you should be asking them and, and trying to understand, you know, read between the lines, really try to understand like what, what their culture is like and do you fit mm-hmm. in with their culture. And, yep. you know, if you see red flags, then run. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So one last thing that I kind of want to touch on here and this is this is shaping up exactly good for time, is that you have to have a plan, right? You have to know what you want. All right, so one thing that I run into with a lot of folks is that they want to be a senior developer, right? They want to be, you know, kind of the top dog wherever they're at, blah, blah, blah. They don't really know what that means, right? They don't know what, what when it boils down at the end of the day, what what they actually want, right? They just want recognition or they want to be able to, okay, Let's say that the company I'm working at goes under today. You know, I can make a fo- couple of phone calls and I can go park in a different parking lot tomorrow, right? Yep. You know, but but for other people, they really want some kind of fulfillment from their job. They want to feel like they're a part of something. And you've got to know this, right? You've got to figure that out. So what I tell people to do is to actually sit down and figure it out, right? So what kind of a boss do you want? What kind of pay do you want? What kind of... Uh, benefits do you want, right? As far as just kind of the physical, you know, what what you do you want to work in a cubicle? Do you want to have an office? Do you want, the, you know, and, and just kind of figure out what it looks like for wherever you want to end up, right? But then some of the other things, right? What kind of a project do you want to work on? Does the social agenda of the company matter to you? Do, you know, and so, so just work through all of these different things. I have a worksheet for a course I'm building on this and, and maybe I'll just put it up so people can actually snag it. But, you know, work through all that stuff and, and figure out, okay, this is where I want to end up. You know, I want to be speaking at conferences. I want to be worldwide recognized for, you know, my videos. I want blah, 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 right? 
it's kind of actually interesting that I'm talking about this. So my 15-year-old son and I recorded his first YouTube video for his YouTube channel last night. Cool. And right, we sat down and he he has ADHD and he just fix he's fixated on this video game called Undertale. Okay. And so we played it for like 40 minutes, you know, on YouTube. We just streamed it to YouTube, right? And, you know, made his day. But what was interesting was at the end of the day, were we talking about having the video out there? No, 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 no. As soon as it was up, the first thing he said was, my seminary teacher is going to be so excited to see this, <laughs> right? You know, and, and you know, um, for, for my faith, youth from ages 15 to 18 go to seminary and, you know, receive religious uh, schooling. As part as part of the regular schooling, so they usually go to a public high school, and then anyway. So, but yeah, he's been talking to his seminary teacher about putting together a YouTube channel because we've been talking about it for a while, right? He and then he started saying, "Well, you know, my my friend who also has a YouTube channel, maybe he'll subscribe to mine, right?" And so for him, it was about the recognition, yeah, right, and that's that's what people really need to kind of get their head around is what do you want from this, right? Do you just want the stability of knowing that if this job goes away, I can move to another one? Or do you want the recognition that comes with speaking and podcasting and all the other stuff? Do you want, do you not want the spotlight at all? Right? I mean, what, what does that look like for you? Do you want to work for, I did some coaching for some people who were looking to move along in their career to another job, right? And I talked to him about why, you know, and some of them, it was, well, I feel stuck. I'm not progressing. And what they really wanted was they wanted a company that would send them to conferences a couple times a year. Yeah. You know, one or two of them, it was, well, I want to work for a big company like Google, Facebook, or Amazon or Microsoft. Right. Right. So sit down, figure that out, and then use that to direct all of the other stuff that we talked about. Right. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden, the training that you're doing, you know, the, the I'm going to figure out this stuff that you're doing a half hour every day, the, the stuff that you're reading and learning every day, the, the other work you're putting in, you can gear all of that toward the kind of culture you want to work in, the kind of the way that they work, you know, whether they do agile or something else, you know, you can learn the skills that a particular company, if that's what your goal is, I want to work for Google, right? You know, you can gear your your learning toward the technologies that they use and the way that they operate and all of that stuff and and really just work your way up, right? Or maybe you spend some of your time learning how to podcast or learning how to put together a proposal so you can speak at a conference or, you know, making contacts with the people who organize the conference so that if you can make your way out there, they'll let you in as a volunteer where you, you know, stand in the hall and direct traffic for part of the time and then get to go to the conference the rest of the time. Yep. If you can make, if you, if you have a really clear idea of where you want to end up, then all of this other stuff just works itself out because then it's, I'm going to do these things to get to where I want to go. And that's, what's going to get you to, okay, now I'm where I want to go and I can be a 5% here. Right. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's, it's all about understanding what motivates you, what drives you and everything else or just, you know, you can make everything fall into place once you do that. But I, I agree those people who are sort of, you know, who never sort sort of figure that out in a formal way, I think they just end mm-hmm. up sort of bouncing around a little bit and, and it's tough. So you, you're doing yourself a huge favor if you can sort of figure out what it is that motivates you and, yep. and let that drive everything else. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I will add to that is, 
let's say that you fixate on Google for whatever reason, right? It seems a little bit silly to me, but you know, I know people that, that really are, right? They, yep. they want to work for Google and yep. you know, they think that'll make them happy. Well, let's say that you start talking to Google engineers and you figure out that, oh, it's not really what I thought it was. I don't really want to be there. That's fine. Change the plan, right? right. The plan is not permanent, yep. but it will direct you in the direction you want to go. And anything you learn that's going to be applicable to Google is probably also applicable to some of the other bigger companies out yeah. there. Yeah. So it's not a waste. And I think I guess the other thing I'd point out is I think, you know, as as your career advances and as you get older, your priorities are probably going to change. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're your point, you know, when you're starting your career out, just making those initial advances in income is probably your biggest goal because you just want to be able to pay for your living expenses and, mm -hmm. you know, pay down that maybe you have debt from college or whatever it is. So that's your biggest goal in life. You know, once you get past that, it might be more about family and other goals that you have and right. it just changes. So periodically you got to go back and say, and do that same exercise again, like, okay, now what, what do I want to do for the next few years, next 10 years, whatever it is, like what motivates me and, and how do I get there? Yeah, well, and it's interesting that you point that out, right? Because that's really the kind of track that I followed. So for the first probably three or four years of my career, I got a $20,000 raise every time I moved jobs, yeah. right? And yeah. we got to move into a nicer house and we, you know, we got all these different things and it just made things easier, right? It, it was a drastic upgrade in what we, we could do with our lives, right? And so it, it was a big deal. Right. But after a while, then my oldest son went to kindergarten. And I realized that the job that I was sitting in, they weren't too keen on letting me out in the middle of the day so I could go see his dumb little kindergarten program. Right. 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 And so I was like, I want to go. I want to be at all the things. Right. For all my kids. Yep. And so I quit and I went freelance. Right. Yep. And it was because that. Oh, I got laid off and went freelance. That's the truth. Um, but, but you know, you, you get the idea, right? That was the focus was, okay, I want to be there for my kids, right? And then after five or six years, my dad's health started to decline, right? And so then it was about, okay, I'm going to, you know, I want to be able to take him to the doctor's appointments and, you know, do all the other things. Because my mom at that point had started teaching math at the high school. And so she couldn't during the day she couldn't take him right and so i wanted to have that time freedom so that i could take him right yeah. and i you know the podcasts i have great hosts on all the shows and so i'd just be like hey i gotta take my dad to the doctor and everybody be like hey you know and so so it worked out right and yeah and so the priorities changed and now you know i feel like i'm on this mission to help people become top five percent developers and devops engineers and and so now it's not so much about, okay, you know, these aspects of life outside of my profession, but it's, I feel like I've got this calling to help people move along in their career. And so it will change. Absolutely will change. Yeah. Cool. Good deal. I like this. I think we've hit on a lot of points. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to cover, but I feel like we really nope. covered this topic well. Yeah, I mean, I've got a few other tricks and techniques that I could share, but honestly, I think this is a good place to stop. I really, really want people to just look at where you want to end up. And then if you're looking for more, let me know. I'm probably actually going to open things up so I can start 
just talking to people about where they're at and where they're trying to get to. And I'm going to start doing coaching, group coaching and things like that to just help people figure out how to get past the roadblocks that they're facing to get to 5%. Yep. That sounds great. Should we transition over into picks? Yeah, let's do picks. All right. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. What do you have for us this week? So the first thing that I have is I've been listening to, I'm still listening to A Hero with a Thousand Faces. I think I picked that last time yeah. on Audible. But I've also been listening to a couple of other books that I just wanted to shout out about. They're both fiction, uh, both very different kinds of fiction. One is The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. And it's a fantasy, epic fantasy series. Robert Jordan wrote the first 10 books and then he passed away. Oh. And and Brandon Sanderson, who's another fantasy author, was basically hand-selected by his widow to finish the series. And so he wrote the last three books with Robert Jordan's notes and anything that he had written prior, right? So he took the first half of what was supposed to be the last book and, you know, kind of finished it out and then wrote two more books because that's what the notes actually meant. But anyway, a terrific series. Really, really love the books. I'm trying to get through them because Brandon Sanderson actually had a new book come out in his Stormlight Archive series. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to that on Audible. Uh, the other book, uh, the other fiction book that, like I said, is very different. It's Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Hmm. And I'm really enjoying it. It's it's definitely interesting. And what's fun is that like um, the epic fantasy is just a terrific story, right? Um, the the characters are well written. They're very human. Blah blah blah. Ayn Rand is basically allegorical, you know. And uh, you know she's she's making some points about economics, politics, and things like that. And I, I'm really enjoying it. It just makes makes you think. So I'm going to pick both of those. And then, yeah, I'll go ahead and put the the information for uh, the interviews and coaching and stuff at mostvaluable.dev. And that way you all can come in and uh, see what we're looking at there. And then the last pick I have is I'm working on putting up premium versions of all of the podcasts that just don't have the sponsorship messages in them. And I'm also looking at possibly adding like some other bonus things. So I don't know if that's a, Q&A with the panelists that we do once a month, or if I put together some kind of, because we're still in COVID, right? And so the local users groups just aren't getting together, doing some kind of like um, live webinar once a month where we have somebody come and share. And then we do like Zoom breakout rooms and just chat for a while. So I'm kind of playing with some ideas around that, but um, I'll put a link to the premium episodes or the premium podcast for this show there and you can just go sign up it like i said it'll cost but i'm I'm looking at like five bucks a month and then you'll get all right. the shows without the ads in it and probably some extra thing like that so nice those are my picks cool i actually just have one pick this week this is something i've been using probably for i don't know a couple of years now so i'm a mac user and 
you know, anybody who's on a Mac ends up trying to figure out what do I do for something that's, you know, akin to Visio, because you always have to do some kind of a diagramming, you know, project or something for, for whatever it is. Um, and I settled on SmartDraw maybe a couple of years ago. It's a purely online version of, you know, like being able to build graphics, you know, some some form of, and it's a whole bunch of different types of diagrams that you can do. They've got an enormous amount of templates and it's fairly reasonable too. So I I, I just really, I think it really, really works well. It's simple to use. Uh, sometimes they sort of, the simplicity sometimes sort of pulls you into a, or pushes you into like a corner where you can't do as much, but I find that for what I need, it really works well. And it's really easy to then just sort of take your diagrams, pull them into, you know, a PowerPoint or a, you know, or a, or a Word doc or whatever. So highly recommend if you are on, you know, Mac or if you're just on Windows, you don't like Visio, SmartDraw is, um, it's a good alternative. Nice. I'll have to check that out. I'm on a Mac too. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So I think that uh, wraps up this week's episode in Adventures in DevOps. Thank you so much, uh, Charles. I thought that was a great discussion today. And definitely see us next time right here on Adventures in DevOps. Thanks so much. Bye, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.